Good morning, everybody. My name is Wilson. I'm one of the young adult pastors here. Yeah, I'll give you a chance to say good morning back to me. Wow, that was, that was really impressive. Thank you. So, like I said, my name is Wilson, and I'm uh, one of the young adult pastors here. And on top of that, a new responsibility I just got was to help lead the School of Kingdom Ministry. So the School of Kingdom Ministry starts September 14th, and it's going to be on Sunday nights for three hours. Now, what the breakdown of the class looks like is there's an initial hour of teaching. And that first hour is teaching done by Putty Putman, who's the uh, author and creator of the course. And I actually just got to spend a week with Putty about two weeks ago in Illinois, getting trained on how to lead the course and how to, um, well, and just hearing all the teachings, kind of like a little preview look of all the teachings. And I felt like I got born again, again. They're just awesome teachings. He is a really gifted teacher. And the Lord is really just breathing fresh insight into his mind, into his life. And there's stuff that I've heard a million times before, but just this new kind of revelation he has about it really was touching me and changing me. So that's the first hour is teaching by Putty. Then the second hour is called activation. And so what I mean by activation is like actually getting to practice the things you're learning, but in a really safe environment and in an environment where it's really easy to fail and where failure is just kind of like a little bit expected, like where everybody's just learning. The kind of analogy I've, I've developed, the, the third hour is a practice session. So the first hour is like, you know, you're listening to a lecture on how to hit a golf ball. You're watching the lecture, you're taking notes. The second hour, we go to the driving range. And then the third hour, we actually go and play 18 holes of golf. So for the third hour, it's actual practice. We'll go out into the community and do power evangelism. Or we'll host healing rooms here and people will come here and we'll pray for them. We'll have discussion groups and kind of just uh, go over everything we're learning and talk about it together. So the format of the class is broken down into a really interactive way. It's not like just sit here and receive information for three hours and then leave and your brain is fried. Your brain is fried. You really get to talk to other people and experience it with them. And another thing I want to note about it is that it's really open to all ages. It's open to anybody that thinks they can handle taking the course. Um, so yeah, we, we really want, I think this is going to take and transform our church body. Anybody that takes it is going to leave a different person. It's, it's a really powerful course. There's more information for it um, at this kiosk in the back. I'll be standing there after the service. and I'd love to tell you more about it or answer any questions you have. So please stop back there and see me after, after the service. Okay, before I go any further, who remembers the Freedom Project? How awesome that was. Well, we actually have Pastor Roy here with us this morning. Would you stand, Pastor Roy? Let's just give him a round of applause. Pastor Roy works in India, and he has started and he leads Peace Mission India, which is a ministry devoted to um, all kinds of the disenfranchised and the kind of looked down upon in India. He's just, yeah, like an apostle. He's a man really after God's heart. He really just loves the lost and is an inspiration to me. And I just want to recognize you and honor you this morning. Um, I'm sure that in the coming weeks, my dad will have you up here and we'll get to hear more from you. So we're just honored to have you here. Thank you, Pastor Roy. So something that has always really encouraged my walk with Jesus is to hear stories. 
Stories about things God is doing. And I'll tell you, I'm sure that Pastor Roy has enough stories to tell every single one of us in this room that would just totally knock our socks off and light a new fire under our butts for Jesus. So who likes hearing stories? Like just cool, especially about like miracles or people getting healed, stuff like that. Okay, well, I want to tell you guys a couple of stories. Is that okay? Just to start. So Amanda, that young woman that was just up here um, doing the announcements, Last Friday, or two days ago, so on Friday morning, she was on her way to class. She was at a gas station, and this young, young woman walked by her who happened to be pregnant, and she just, her heart just kind of like went out to her. She just felt compassion for her. How many, you guys all know all the times in the Bible where it says Jesus having compassion on someone, da 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 da, and then he went and did something really cool? That's something we need to pay attention to. We're out in the grocery store, we're out in public, and all of a sudden, you look at somebody that you don't know at all, but you just feel a little bit of compassion for them. That's God speaking to you. He's saying, hey, step out and go love that person. Go talk to them. See what's up with them. See if they need prayer. See what you can do for them. So that's all Amanda was doing. She just felt compassion. So she said, all right, I, don't, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm going to just go walk and talk to her. She walked across the gas station, introduced herself. I said, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? And she said, yeah, I... I'm just really, I'm a single mother. I have two other kids. I'm really struggling with money right now. And out of the $80 I have left, I had to spend this, like a huge chunk of it to buy all their school uniforms. And I'm kind of just like strapped for cash. I don't know what I'm going to do for like our groceries and for everything else this week. So Amanda said, okay, well, I'm can I just pray for you? And she said, sure. So Amanda prayed for her and just loved on her some and shared with her that that night we were having a young adult's house group and invited her to come to it. So she gave her a card for it. And then Amanda just really felt prompted, like, I need to actually give her some money. I need to help her out. Which I don't think is always the thing to do. But I definitely think when God leads us to do something, we should do it. You know? I think sometimes we get stuck in these ideas, or we get principles, and we start valuing principles above God's presence. And I don't know about you guys, but I always want to follow God's presence over anything else, period. There's no principle that can guide me like his presence can. Principles are good, and we can fall back on principles. But anytime you feel like God's presence and God's voice is leading you to do something, boom, that's just not even a thought. You, you just, how high? You jump right away. So Amanda did it. She's, all right. So she just went and got her wallet, took all the money out of her wallet, and gave it to her. And parted company, and that was the last Amanda thought she'd ever see her. Well, this young lady actually shows up to the house group Friday night and gets to just come and get ministered to and loved on. And yeah, people, people are giving her encouraging words, speaking into her life, loving on her, telling her, yeah, we really love you. We don't even know you, but we love you. Because that's Jesus' love, you know? You don't need to know somebody to love them. You really don't. When you have Jesus inside of you, loving people is just natural. It's just like second nature. And then this is like the kind of the cherry on top of the cake. Amanda finds out from her that the money she gave her paid totally for the school uniform she just had to buy that recently for her kids. So Amanda just said, all right, Lord, you f- I feel like you're telling me to give her money. I'm not going to even count it. I'm just going to grab all the money out of my wallet. It was like 30-something dollars. She said, here you go. And she found out that was exactly the amount that this girl had needed to pay for the uniforms. How awesome is that? How smart is God? Isn't that cool? All right. Would you guys like to hear a couple more stories? Is that, is that exciting stuff? All right. So here's one that I actually got to apologize to you for that I haven't shared it yet. Because this is like really awesome, big news. And this is just cool. This, to see this kind of breakthrough in our church body in this house excites me. 
You know, I love seeing people get healed and miracles. And anytime that I share a testament with you guys, I'm actually giving you free access to that same event. In Revelation, it says that the testimony, of the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when I testify to something that Jesus has done, when I tell you, when I share a testimony with you about something God has done, I'm giving you full right and access to that same breakthrough that I had or the person had that was involved in the, in the testimony. Does that make sense? It's kind of like a, it's a spiritual truth that doesn't know, totally... Like, we can't write that down on paper and say, well, this is how that works. But it's just part of faith and part of how God works is that when we hear testimony of something he's done, we're actually able to step into that very thing and start walking in it. So, all right, about three months ago, I think it was the very beginning of the summer, Luke and I were up here praying for people. Luke's the other young adults pastor, my best friend. We were just standing up here praying for people at the end of the service. And an uh, older gentleman came up to us who had throat cancer. And he had, a, he had a big lump on the base of his tongue. And the doctor said he had just three months left to live. If he didn't do chemotherapy and radiation treatment, it was, it was three months was their estimate. And um, he just felt like, you know, I don't really, really want to do that. Like, he's, I think he's about in his 70s. So it's kind of like, I don't, he said, I, I don't want to do chemotherapy. I don't want to do radiation. You know, it's a hard process to go through, but I'll get prayer. (laughs) I think that's a pretty cool attitude to trust prayer enough to say, you know, I'll just come and take some prayer. That's a little bit of faith, right? So he came up, Luke and I prayed for him and yeah, we just told the cancer to die and to leave his body and that it had no right there. Um, yeah, that Jesus, yeah, Jesus was going to make him well. And he started to feel this like heat in the, in his throat, but there was nothing we could tell in the moment. It was cool that he felt heat, but we walked away thinking, all right, God, like whatever you're doing there, we'll see. So then he actually kind of has a change of heart and decides to go in and get chemotherapy and radiation the following Monday. So that was on a Saturday night. And on Monday, he goes in and gets all the tests done and scans to check out the lump. And he gets the results back. And guess what? Cancer's gone. <laughs> the tumor came back came back totally benign and it was all gone. And yeah, I mean, that's awesome. I think that's cool. That's something we're going to start seeing a lot more, you guys. We're going to start, people are going to start coming to this church just because they hear people get healed of cancer here. You know, who, I mean, who excited, who else is excited about that? The Vineyard Northwest, cancer just isn't allowed here, you know? And I don't, I don't totally understand, I don't totally understand how it works that some people get healed and some don't, but that's definitely not going to keep me from praying for people. You know, I'm going to push in to Jesus's track record. And Jesus's track record is that everybody Jesus prayed for was healed. So that's what I'm going to believe for. I'm going to push forward. So push forwards to push forward to. Um, so Friday night, the same night that this young lady comes for the first time during the ministry time of the group. So we break the night down into a time for worship, a time to study the Bible, and then a time just to let the Holy Spirit, do whatever he wants. Because those are cool activities, right? Like worshiping and reading the Bible. I mean, those are critical and important and I would never downplay those or diminish the importance. But I think there's also a real value in just saying, all right, I have no plans now. What do you want to do, God? I'm just going to listen to you and do whatever you say. So we were um, kind of practicing that part of the night and somebody got a word of knowledge. So what a word of knowledge is, is when God just gives you a piece of information about somebody else. So when he speaks to you just through a thought that goes through your brain, or sometimes people feel a pain in their body and it's actually a pain for someone else. 
By the way, this is something, if you're interested in that, when I just say word of knowledge, school kingdom ministry is for you. You're going to learn all about that and learn how to function in that. So anyways, somebody got a word of knowledge that somebody had shoulder pain and just said, hey, does anybody in here have shoulder pain? So she said, yeah, my shoulder's like frozen up. It really hurts. I can't move it much. And Brent, the guy that got the word, went over and prayed for him and his shoulder just got totally healed. His totally, all the mobility came back. And we're all just kind of like, woo, awesome. Like, let's push him more into healing. Obviously, God wants to heal people. So I, so I just said, who has back pain? Does anybody have any pain in their back? And two people responded and said, yeah. One of them had, two people responded. One had scoliosis and the other just had really bad problems with their back. And it was always kind of feeling like out of alignment is how they put it. And so the thought just went through my head. I bet their legs aren't the same length. I just thought that. And I said, okay, let's go. Let's check that out. So I had each of them sit down and put their butts all the way into the back of a chair. And then I pulled their legs up next to each other. And sure enough, their heels were like an inch off. So they had actually, their legs were actually shorter and they didn't even know it. But I just thought, okay, (laughs) this probably isn't, you know, how God designed their body to be, right? You know, God doesn't design us to have sickness in us or for our legs to be off balance. I was like, okay, well, legs, I just command you to grow in Jesus' name. And guess what happened? The leg just shot out. It just grew an inch. (laughs) And so both legs are now the same length. And so we said, all right, let's pray for the next person. Prayed for them. Boom. Same thing happens. Leg just comes right out, right in my hand. And they're like, what did you just do to my leg? Are you pulling my leg? And I said, no, I'm not pulling your leg. No pun intended. But they stand up and all the pain is gone. And they just feel like this alignment coming to their back for the first time in years. And they're just walking around. They don't understand. They're like, my back feels fine. I don't understand. Let me sit back down. Show me my legs. Were they really shorter? And he's like, yeah, like we saw they were shorter. And that's not like a pretty amazing thing, right? Like to physically see someone's leg grow and come into alignment. The thing is, I didn't do anything. I had been fasting all week or praying. I mean, I had been praying, but I hadn't been like, you know, intentionally being like, okay, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this and working so hard and getting into God's grace and getting favor from him. So these miracles could happen. That's not how it worked. I just said, all right, in Jesus name, leg grow. And then Jesus did it. (laughs) The leg just grew out. And all I had to do was just take a step back and say, God, I'm going to rest in you. I'm just going to rest in what you've already done and trust that you want, you want them better. And That's really what I felt like God put on my heart to speak about this morning. The fact that we can just rest in him. And that we don't have to fix ourselves. That we don't have to go through a 12-step program to get better. All we have to do is recognize what he did and just rest in it. Just take a posture of our heart where we're saying, All right, Lord, you've done the work. I'm going to rest in you. And so really the kind of the keynote verse for this is John 19.30. Um, it's one of the last things Jesus, is, yeah, the last thing Jesus said in his first life. Um, so it's John nineteen thirty, and this is when Jesus is being crucified. This is right before he, right before he dies. He says, or John, John describes it like this: When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, "It is finished," and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So he said, "It is finished." What was finished? You know, what was finished? What was, what was done? Us striving. That's what was finished. Is us working for God. Is us trying to live this life of following rules to get enough favor from God and having to do sacrifices. He said, that's finished. You can just rest in me now. 
I have come. I have redeemed humanity. And now all you have to do is just take a step back and rest in me. Because you know, God's original plan was for us to be able to rest in him. That's why in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve just rested. They were chilled out. It was, it was easy for them. They could rest. They rested in God's presence. They got to spend time with him. But then, you know, they disobeyed the Lord. They disobeyed God and they sinned and they started to sweat and they started to have to work. And that's actually part of what happened. It, it says that in Genesis, part of the curse of, of sin is that we have to work now. We have to strive. By the sweat of our brow, will produce crops. And women have to labor in childbirth. It's a painful, it's a hard thing. It's because we, aren't, we weren't able to rest in God anymore because we disobeyed him. But when Jesus came, he made it possible for us just to rest in him. For us to say, Lord, you did it. You suffered on the cross for me. I'm just gonna rest in you. We can rest. So I hope that's making sense. I hope, I hope that's, is that kind of clicking with you guys that we can rest? Well, there's really three things that I felt like God put on my heart to speak about when it comes to it is finished and, and resting in him. But three things that I feel like he said it are finished. And I don't think I'll be able to, I can't devote a lot of time to all three, but I just want to go over them each and share with you a little bit of the insight and kind of uh, like revelation God's been giving me about it. And that's my, that's my favorite thing to do is just to share with you guys the same things he's been speaking to me. You know, I'm sure lots of you guys have awesome things to share that God's been speaking to you about and I'd like to hear about it. And that, that, that's, that's personally what I like to do when I come up here is just to share with you guys the same things he been, he's been speaking to me about. So that's kind of the same thing where I just rest, you know. <laughs> I know people probably work really, really hard to prepare their sermons, but I just kind of rest. I just say, Lord, what have you been speaking to me about? I go through my journal and see what he's been speaking to me about. And then I just regurg- I just throw that up back on you guys. <laughs> so that's what you're getting. Regurgitation. Okay, so, and Peter, so here, the three things I feel like he spoke to me were, when, when it comes to it is finished, physical pain, number one, physical pain. Number two, internal emotional conflict. So depression, anxiety, worry, stress, all that was finished. Jesus came to end that stuff, to end that. It's finished. And the third thing is our struggle with sin. Our struggle with sin. So physical pain, internal emotional conflicts, and our struggle with sin. These are all finished. So regarding physical pain, in 1 Peter 2, 24... Luckily, this is going to come up behind me for everybody who doesn't bring their Bible to church. Just kidding. Okay, so he himself, this is Peter talking about Jesus. And he said, I was totally kidding about the Bible thing. Don't, don't hate me or anything. It's okay. So he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds, you have been healed. So for the past about month, I've been traveling. And there was a really, really big event that happened in my life right before I started traveling. And that was that I got engaged. So I don't think that 
I don't think that my fiance Jen is here right now. I think she's sleeping. But if you come to the next service, I'll make her stand up and let you guys all look at how pretty she is. Because she's really pretty. And I'm really lucky that she said yes to me. So I got engaged. And then I went on this kind of month-long travels. Part of my travels were spending time with Ben. Uh, ben Fitzgerald, who is, he came here, if you guys were all, if some of you guys came that Wednesday night and got to experience him, how awesome of a dude he is. So I got to spend some time with him. I spent a week with Putty in Illinois, just learning from him and uh, learning about the School of Kingdom ministry course. And then most recently, I spent a week in California, and I was in a wedding of one of my good friends. And see, the interesting thing about this wedding was I was what's called a bride's fellow. So this is a really, really close girlfriend I've had for years, a female friend. And she said, I really want you to be part of my wedding. So yeah, you're going to not be a bride's, bride's lady, but you're going to be a bride's fellow. I was like, okay, cool. So I didn't have to wear a dress or anything. So I was okay with it. <laughs> you know, I was picturing like a white tuxedo or something. I was like, no, no, no. Just got to wear normal guy clothes. Um, so anyways, we were hanging out that week. It was, it was in Los Angeles and my, one of the evenings we were going to ha- spend some time like doing a cookout and swimming in her pool. And so we wanted to go pick up some beer just to, ha- just to grill and drink a couple of beers. And we, were, we went to a gas station and we went in and, said, and I was looking around and noticed any alcohol. So I went to the counter and asked, do you guys sell alcohol? And they said, no, we don't have a liquor permit or whatever, so we can't sell anything. So we went to the gas station next door. And at this point, I just stuck my head in the door. And I said, hey, do you guys sell alcohol? And the, cash, the cashier said, no, but we sell milk. <laughs> it's like, okay, are you, is this like judgment right now? Are you trying to tell me something? No. Um, but I was like, oh, okay. And then this whole thing of, you know, following God's presence can be kind of interesting sometimes. And so the thought just went through my mind. I was like, hey, yeah, milk is really good for your bones, isn't it? I said, yeah, it's really good for your bones. And I'm starting to walk, step in the door now. And I said, as a matter of fact, do you have any pain in any of your bones? Like, do you have any broken bones or anything like that? And he said, yeah, actually my wrist is broken and it, it really bothers me. And you know, it's never really healed right. So it, I have a lot of pain in it and he's doing this. So I walk in, walk towards the counter and my, my friend Lee and Amaris trailing behind me. And I say, hey, well, man, dude, you know, I really believe that Jesus wants to heal you. And right as I'm saying this, I'm getting close enough and I realize that he's Arab. And my major in college is Arabic. So I'm not fluent in Arabic, but I'm like conversational enough that I can have a conversation and talk to people about where they're from and stuff. And so, salamu alaikum, kefahalak. And we just start talking in Arabic and he's like about to jump out of his skin at this point. What's this white kid talking to me in Arabic for? And I find out that he's actually from a city in Jordan that I've spent a month in and that I, I know pretty well. And so we're talking about where I stayed and where he lives and really just kind of like bonding over this point. And then I remember his wrist and I was like, hey, so dude, check it out. How does it feel right now? Tell me how it feels. Like, I want you to actually check and see where the pain is. So he starts moving and said, yeah, I can't, I can't move it more than this and showing me. And I said, well, Jesus is going to heal you right now. And he was like, okay. And I was like, right now, like check your wrist. So he checked his wrist and he said, he gets this look on it. Like, what's, what are you doing to me? What is happening right now? Is this magic? I said, no, what, what do you, what do you mean? What are you experiencing? And he said, my wrist doesn't hurt anymore. He's like, it just hurt. And now it doesn't hurt. What did you do? I said, I didn't do anything. I just said the name Jesus, man. And your wrist got healed. Like that was it. And that's because it was finished. Jesus finished it on the cross. I didn't have to do anything to get his wrist healed. It was finished. 
I just said the name Jesus and his wrist was healed. And at this point, I turn around. I mean, he's, he's really freaking out. He doesn't understand what's happening. I didn't lay hands on him. I didn't say, dear God, please heal him. Or in Jesus' name, I command your wrist to be better. I just said, it's going to be healed. Check it out. And it was healed. I mean, that's never happened for me before. So it was pretty amazing. And I turn around and there's like a semicircle of people behind me all just standing there like, just, just observing this happen. And one of the, one of the guys just, yeah, Jesus, just yells it out in the middle of the gas station. And we're just kind of like blown away. Don't really know what's going on. I'm like, that's awesome, man. That was all Jesus. He loves you so much. Shared the gospel with him. He has an awesome plan for your life. Find out he's a Christian already. Just really encouraged him and we left. And you know, that was all because it is finished. It was finished. Jesus did it. He took, his, he took our pain upon himself. All I, I just rested. I, I wasn't striving there. I wasn't pushing and, you know, spitting out and yelling and yelling at his wrist, commanded to be healed. I just said, it's going to be healed. And then Jesus did it. Jesus said, all right, boom, it's better now. I don't totally know how that works, but I like it. I think that's pretty cool. You know, I, I encourage you guys to start experimenting with that. Just start going up to people and saying, hey, I really think Jesus is going to heal you right now. They look at you and say, okay, will you check your pain again and see what happens? Because, you know, by checking their pain, they're actually stepping into faith. And you know what Jesus said? Just a mustard seed is all it takes. A small, teeny bit of faith. And that's, that's all he needs to, to get his foot in the door. A cool, a cool thing I heard, I've heard a pastor say before is, when Jesus gets his foot in the door... He takes the house. So all he needs is a little bit of faith. He needs to get his foot in the door. I think he rips that baby open. And he goes in and does what he wants. So that's physical pain. I think that we can rest a little bit more in him and, and trust a little bit more in what he did on the cross. I'm not saying it's bad to pray by any means. I've prayed for like 20 people since that day and seen some of them healed and seen some of them not healed. But I'm just saying, let's have an atmosphere or a mentality of resting in that stuff. We don't need to be stressed by it. We should, be at a, we should function at a place of peace when we pray for people to be healed. We shouldn't be going out of a place of, I mean, if you think that you have more desire for that person to be healed than God does, then you're missing it because God cares about them more than you do. So all you have to do is just rest and just, and release peace and release healing to the person. Just pray for that to happen. So that's healing. I hope that makes some sense or is, gives you guys some, some ideas. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about a little bit was depression and anxiety and stress and all this stuff. Now I've been depressed before, you know, I've gone through seasons of life where I've felt like not getting out of bed, where I felt like life wasn't worth living, where I felt like you know, like everything is wrong. So I don't, I don't want anybody to think that I'm like speaking, taking depression for granted or acting like it's no big deal because it's not, you know, that's a really hard, rough thing. And I mean, just statistics show, I'm sure there's people in this room that are probably suffering from depression or struggling with a, with a thing of depression. And I just want to tell you that there is hope in Jesus and that Jesus is with you and he's next to you and that you're going to get out of this. You're going to get out of this. And I'm so confident in that because of three words. It is finished. Jesus was never depressed. He was not a depressed person. He was a happy person. He was a joyful person. We can look to Jesus and that is what we are capable of. 
We don't, we don't look at him and say, oh, Jesus was so good, I'll never be that good. We look at him and say, man, I already have a deposit of Jesus in me. I'm going to keep pushing towards getting more and more like him. Because that's what happened when the Holy Spirit came and filled you. When you accepted Jesus into your life and the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in you, you had a little bit of Jesus deposited in you. You had a lot of Jesus deposited in you. And from now on, it's just increase, increase, increase. How do I become more like him? How does he overtake me more? It's not how do I overcome sin more? How do I overcome pain more? How do I overcome depression more? It's how does Jesus overcome me more? How do I become more like him? How does he infiltrate every last part of my life that isn't given to him yet? And how does he redefine each part of my life so that I'm more like him? We have it backwards in some ways, thinking that we have to work. We rest and Jesus does it. We say, Jesus, you did it. You did it. Thank you. I want to become more like you. So just one, one kind of insight, one tip I have for this depression thing. And again, I'm not taking light of it. And in fact, if you, if you really feel like you're depressed or you, have a, you're, you are depressed, I'd encourage you to come up here and get prayer for it. Because today we're going to see people that have been depressed for years get freed from the depression. And that's just going to be lifted off of you. We're going to get that off of you. And you're going to feel like a brand new person. Part of this, though, is experiencing joy. Okay? Jesus was more joyful than everyone he was ever around. He was anointed with joy beyond all of his companions. That's what the Bible says. He was anointed with joy above all his companions. And it says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So that being joyful is our strength. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, Rejoice always. Always be joyful. Now, a conflict I've had with this a lot in life, and I've really felt like I'm getting breakthrough and understanding on lately, is this idea that like emotions are only authentic if they happen naturally. And that we can't force emotions, that whatever our present reality is, that's what's real, and we should just accept it, and things will get better. That's not true, okay? That's just, that's just not true. Because who here has ever had a, had a morning where you woke up and you just felt like you're in a crummy mood? Has anybody ever experienced that? Where you just woke up and you just felt like you're in a bad mood, but you didn't know why? There was nothing particular that happened that you could point back to that caused it? But maybe then, and who's experienced this? The rest of your day ended up being crummy and bad. I mean, I'm speaking from experience here. Like, I've had that happen. You know what? I was choosing to have a bad day after a certain point because I woke up feeling negative for no good reason and I let that take over my day. It's the same thing with anger. Who's ever been angry at somebody for something and you've forgiven them, but then you've stayed angry for like an hour later, or maybe a day later? You know who, has anybody ever experienced that? Like we can just be honest, right? We've, we've stayed angry before. We've chosen to stay angry. Well, if you've chosen to be angry and you've chosen to kind of have a sad mentality and a bad day, you can also choose to be joyful. We can choose to laugh <laughs> and we can choose to smile. You know, when I think of joy, I think of people smiling and I think of laughing and I think of being happy. And we can choose that, you know. I'd encourage you, just let out a laugh every once in a while. When you're not feeling good or you're having a bad day, just laugh a little bit. Maybe at first it'll feel disingenuous, but that's just because you haven't trained yourself into it yet. We've trained ourselves into feeling comfortable being angry and sad. But that's not, that's not how Jesus lived. That's not part of our true nature is to be angry and sad and depressed and anxious. 
we can laugh. We can, Jesus, I, seriously, I just imagine Jesus being the life of the party. Okay? I imagine him being a really fun, happy dude to be around. I bet he was laughing all of the time. And I bet he was making jokes. And yeah, he was a happy guy. Okay? He wasn't this somber dude that walked around, oh, woe is me. You know, they cut me off in traffic and now the rest of my day is horrible. No, he was happy. He was joyful. He was rejoicing. So I would just encourage you, meditate on that. Think about that. Choose to laugh a little bit. All right, these, I'm going to get through the rest of this kind of quick. The next thing I just wanted to mention is anxiety and worry. And really the opposite of, the opposite of being anxious is being peaceful, Right? Like when we're at peace, we're not anxious and we're not stressed. Well, Jesus was a really peaceful person. And he was so peaceful that he seemed to believe that we could release peace. He told his, he told his disciples, he sent them out and he said, when you go into a house, if there's a person of peace, let your peace rest upon them. If there is not, take your peace back. So we got to ask ourselves, what does that mean? Like, that's always kind of confused me. What is that all about? Like we have peace that we, can re- that we can give away and take back. Well, I feel like I got a kind of insight into this when I was reading Ephesians the other day. And um, Ephesians is a, is a letter that Paul wrote to a group of people in a city called Ephesus. And he actually starts a lot of his, a lot of his letters with these same words. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I've always kind of wondered, why does Paul say that all the time? Like, is that just like his catch, catchphrase? Is that like his slogan? Or what's the deal there? And putting that in conjunction with this verse in Matthew about Jesus telling the, the apostles to let their peace rest upon the place, it made me realize that we as Christians, we carry an internal atmosphere of peace. The Holy Spirit is peace. The Holy Spirit is at rest. Jesus is at rest. God is at rest. He's not striving and struggling. He's, he's functioning out of perfect peace all of the time. And when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we can function out of a place of peace. We don't have to be worried and anxious about things. We can approach any situation with a mentality of peace and a reliance because of three of my favorite words. It is finished. Jesus finished it so that we could be at peace. So think about that. You carry peace within yourself. And even beyond that, in Matthew, Jesus, I'm going to read you guys a, a section of scripture in Matthew 6, where Jesus is really trying to put things in perspective. So this is Matthew 6, 25. And he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. That's peace. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. I want to, I want to go back to verse 30. Jesus says, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So what Jesus is telling us here is that faith is kind of like the underlying issue of, of being anxious and worrying. When we, when we are low, when we're not living in faith, worry and anxiety are right at our doorstep. Faith is like, so I said peace is the opposite of faith. Well, uh, peace is the opposite of anxiety and depression. Faith is like the nemesis of anxiety and depression. Faith is at war with anxiety and depression, always. And when we have a little bit of faith, when we just say, all right, Lord, you finished it. I'm just going to have faith in you. I know that you're going to take care of me. That totally opens the door for peace to just rush on in and, and fill, fill how we're feeling, fix how we're feeling. In Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. So once again, it is finished. Jesus perfected faith so that just a mustard seed, just a tiny little bit could be, could be deposited in us and we'd be at rest and we'd have peace. Yeah, I think that's good. Okay, I'm going to go on to the next point. So this last thing, this is something I really, did that help you guys at all? The whole anxiety thing? Okay. This next thing is something that, man, I feel really passionate about. And this is something I've been learning a lot about over the past year, specifically over the past like six months. And that's our identity in Christ. You know, that's been like the point of this whole series we've been doing called the gospel of the kingdom. The point of it has been for us to reevaluate our identity and what all we're putting, what all we're considering as our identity. And Luke and my dad and Dave and I have been really trying to hammer in, well, they've all been giving awesome messages that have really been emphasizing that we have a new identity and that we actually get to exchange lives with Jesus where God looks at us as being righteous now. And this isn't an easy thing to understand or easy thing to believe, but when we believe it, when we apply faith to Jesus and what he's done, we get to live in that. We get to live in grace. And we get to, our identity gets transformed and our mind gets renewed more so that we can understand what our real identity is. But that's only if we believe in what Jesus has done. We have to believe that truly Jesus became sin. Roman, or 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. If we don't believe that, then it's kind of like doesn't really do much. It doesn't really work. So in Romans, Romans 8, 4, this is an awesome verse. Paul says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What he's saying is that righteousness is now us. 
the righteous requirement of the law. So the law is what we had to follow before Jesus came. That's how we got close to God. That's how we were in good standing with the Lord. Now that's fulfilled just in us because Jesus is in us. Because Jesus is perfect. So we actually are righteous now. We're the righteousness of God. He looks at us as being righteous. This, this is even further kind of like emphatically exclaimed by Paul in Ephesians 1 by when he calls us saints. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. To the saints. Now, if I'm going to be honest with you guys, I haven't always thought that way. I, I wouldn't always have said, I'm a saint. I would say, I'm a sinner. All that coughing's contagious. So yeah, I would have said, I'm a sinner. And that I'm saved, I'm saved by Jesus, I'm saved by grace, but really, I'm actually a sinner. And I can't help it, but I just sin. Guess what? That's untrue. That's stupid. That's that's, fall, that's going so short of what Jesus did for us. For some reason, we think that when we acknowledge our sin and how we fall short, this is twisted, but we think we're elevating Jesus somehow. We think by downplaying ourselves and raising Jesus up that we're somehow glorifying God. You know what we're actually doing? We're shaming him. We're shaming what he did for us. He died so that we wouldn't have to be sinners anymore. And so that sin wouldn't be our nature anymore and that sin wasn't what we just fell into. He died so that we could become the righteousness of God. He died so that we would be freed from the curse of sin and that sin would no longer be our default. Sin would no longer be our nature, but we were just naturally wanting to do righteousness. We were naturally living a righteous life. Now, some of us may think, well, I don't experience that. I surely don't feel that way. Well, that might be because you don't believe it. If you don't believe it, you're definitely not going to live it out. And that's what that's, Paul says this in Romans 5. He says in Romans 5, 2, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So we obtain access to this lifestyle of sin no longer being our nature. We obtain access to it by faith by believing that it's true and by living according to it. So we need to reject the lie that we're sinners and accept the message and accept the gospel that we are saints and that we are actually righteous. It doesn't honor God when we lift him up by putting ourselves down because he's in us. When we put ourselves down, we're putting Jesus down. We're We're playing down the work he did when we elevate our sin or when we say, oh, I'm just so bad, Lord, you're so merciful, thank you. That's just not, that, that's not the point. The point is that Jesus did it. We can rest in his righteousness and it's inside of us now. So kind of the, the two, the verse to nail this home really for me, that is really, there's two verses that have really encouraged me about this and made this even more of a reality because this all sounds really good, but I think we've read the Bible through a filter of us being sinners. And so we really need to establish ourselves on some scripture that really supports this idea that we are not sinners anymore and that we're saints and that sin is not our master anymore. In Romans 6, 17 and 18, Paul says, but thanks be to God that you, 
who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. We can't serve two masters. We're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And when you accept Jesus into your life, the Holy Spirit comes and fills you, changes your very nature, and you become a slave to righteousness. This transformation happens where you're not the same person you were before. You have a new nature, you have new desires, and you can live from that place. Paul says it so drastically that we are new creations. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. It's that big of a difference. It's light and day. It's not like we get saved and we have to keep on living this hard life of you know, getting mad at people and da, da, da. No, we're actually totally changed. Like a big change happens. And Romans 5, 2 says that when we have faith in Jesus and what he did, we have faith in this idea. We believe this idea. It's faith in Jesus, not faith in the idea. But when we believe what he did, we obtain access to grace. We can start living a lifestyle that's not run by sin and that's not running ourselves down and that's not led by anxiety and depression and pain. So I'm going to welcome the worship band to come up now. But before they come up, I just ask all of you guys to stand. Will you stand and just grab hands with somebody next to you? I'm just going to say a prayer over us for a second, really quick. And I'd encourage you to, if this, if this prayer applies to you, if this is something you've struggled with, then just repeat it to yourself. Repeat it in your head. You don't need to say it out loud, but just repeat it to yourself. And if this doesn't apply to you, then just be praying for the people around you. And just be praying that this truth and this reality really sinks into their hearts. So Jesus, I thank you that it is finished. Thank you that you finished it. I repent for believing that I'm a sinner. I confess that this is untrue and I believe that I am a saint and that sin has no hold over me. Thank you that you have grace even for when I mess up, but I thank you that that messing up is not the norm. I love you, and please give me a fresh feeling of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.